At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, episode number 215 from the Salmon River in New York. Greg Liu is a name I've been hearing up and down the river and it shows for a couple of years. I decided I should get a hold of him and hear his story. So we're going to sit down with Greg at the lodge and listen to his perspective as being a guide on the Salmon River, New York. We're going to discuss fly lines the different colors of salmon eggs and the stages they go through, different spots to fish at different flows, preferences for flies, some travel stories from Greg's international travels, a packing list that he suggests for his clients, suggestions on where to eat, and again, if you don't know what Tinder boots are, don't ask. This podcast is not officially brought to you by Ayoba Yo. However, we have a discount code for the holidays. If you go to ayobayo.com and type in the word Snow White, all lowercase, S-N-O-W-H-I-T-E, Vion will give you a 15% off exclusive discount. So please go check out ayobayo.com. So we have Greg Lee with us. We're up here at the lodge. Do you want to introduce yourself and... We're going to learn about you and the fishery up here. Hi. Um, I've been... We've got a French bulldog that has now become Greg's best friend. <laughs> so Yoda is in the background, if you hear what sounds like an alien down there. I've been... I grew up in Westchester County, New York, in the middle of the New York City watershed system. So there was actually... Three streams within 15 minutes of my house. I started guiding here in 89. So this is my 29th year. Wow. I've done 10 years in Alaska, three or four years in Patagonia. In 93, I spent almost six months in Kamchatka. I think we've got some stories lined up. Do you want to pull up a chair for some questions too? Scott's going to join us, I think. I think I All right, so, really so you grew up in Westchester. How did you get into fishing or fly fishing? My dad fished. Okay. Strangely enough, for a city boy, he loved to fly fish and duck hunt. My dad was from the Bronx, and his dad used to take him up to Lake George every summer. So that's, I guess I get the, the fishing gene from my grandfather. My dad, not so much. No, my, my grandfather, all he ever did was work. So my father was the slacker, and he fished a lot. All right. And what brought you out here in 89? I quit my white man's job and 
this guy, Fran Vertoliva, used to guide my father. And in the beginning, I was living in his driveway in a Civic hatchback. That's not hatchery, Fran, is it? Yes. Okay. He's my mentor. Okay. So He just got inducted into the Hall of Fame? Correct. So he said, if you're going to fish this much, you might as well start guiding with me. So I started working with him, and after a couple of years, I realized if I wanted to eat year-round, I had to work year-round. So I actually caught my first steelhead in Michigan, and the guys that guided me in Michigan got me my first job in Alaska. How do you initially find out about steelhead? Uh, my father used to come up here for years before I did. And then after I started catching steelhead, I was addicted. I mean, I, before that, I was a real trout fag, would only fish dry flies and everything. Right. And now I just chase steelhead here. So you went from here, you've traveled around the world. Would you say this is a world-class fishery that's just super accessible? Definitely. Okay. You can call them what you want. Lake run fish, we're definitely hatchery fish, but we're within one day's drive of 50 million people. Right. And where can you catch a fish like this? This close to home. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about, so you've been here since 89. What has, and there's a lot of technology that's changed in the rods, reels, and lines. Uh, can we start off talking about what the fishery was like back then, if it's changed? I know there were snagging rules back then. And the fish uh, weren't really, res- I know the salmon were not as respected. We don't drag our knuckles anymore, if that's what you're asking. Right. We're still, I think we're a fishery for everyone. Salmon season attracts a lot of people, obviously, because there's lots of big fish. We get a ridiculous amount of salmon back. I think on a good year, we get fifty to 75,000 fish returning, and the river's only 13 miles long. So that's a lot of fish. Yeah. There's still a lot of people that like to harvest fish, and that's what they're there for. The behavior has improved greatly. Some people will disagree with that, but I think generally the, the behavior has improved. Um, and, of course, the Internet's changed everything. Absolutely. Um, I used to be amazed at how quickly word would travel, but now you see the guy fighting the fish and he's on the phone. So information is instant. I do like that we can tell what the water levels are going to be like, the temperatures and what to expect. That part of the modern civilization with phones, I do like. Well, yes, and it's much safer. We haven't lost an angler in quite a few years. Um, And you don't have to be as aware as when the water used to rise and fall with no notice. Had to run to the bank a few times or run out of water quite a few times, like in the old days. Wow. Are there sirens they would play at all? They would just go up. There used to be a schedule online, but you, you never knew. Sometimes it would just drop. You know, in the old days, the water used to shut off. It would be 40. So you'd be fishing, and then all of a sudden, there'd just be a trickle down the center. And what would the fish just... The fish would actually turn on. So we used to race it downstream, just keep fishing the drop. What about all the bugs and other things that live in the... That didn't help. Yeah, so just kill them all? 20 years ago, the feds relicensed the dam, and that's when we had the series of minimum flows which obviously is help natural reproduction, invertebrate life. This place is a bug factory. Yes. I've seen crayfish the size of my palm, water beetles, leeches, helgramites. There's everything. Stoneflies galore. Yep. Lots of things for steelhead to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And if you go up the tributaries, they're great nursery areas. Orwell Brook especially. Is a miniature version of the salmon, but it's all gravel for miles and miles. We fished that last year, I think. Is that the one we walked up? Yeah. 
Yeah, we went up there. Cause the river was at 1600 last year when we were up. There wasn't a whole lot of space to be able to find for fishing. Is he awake? <laughs> He's spooning. There we go. Okay, so uh, how's fly fishing changed since you've been up here? Oh, Besides, greatly. I mean, the, the tackle is... I'm sure the waders you were wearing in, in the 80s were not the warmest. It's amazing that anybody from the old days survived. If you look at the pictures and the rubber waders and the wool coats, it's amazing that any of them are still alive. And I was cold today with modern stuff. But mostly it's the lines. So when I started, it was running line. We were duplicating drift fishing with fly fishing gear. So fly rod with like amnesia or monofilament. We on used the running line. And quite honestly, it's Euro nymphing is the same thing now. Okay. Check nymphing, whatever you want to call it. It's tight lining, high sticking, getting to the bottom. We're evolving. The mantra always used to be get your bug to the bottom. If you didn't lose two dozen flies a day, you weren't fishing. You can find a fly line for anything now. If you want an indicator fish with a single hander, there's a line. With a switch rod, the indicators actually float or visible. In the old days, we'd pinch on six of the little foam things, and it would still sink. With all the lead on the bottom. Yes. Um, the two-handed game has obviously exploded. That was great today because it meant less ice in my guides. I just had my running line going through it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the last... 15 years between Skagit and Scandi and flies that swim or sink. There, people are catching a lot of fish not on the bottom. Which is where everyone used to think they were. Correct. Which was just chuck and duck, yes. let everywhere. What's your preferred method of fishing? It depends. Early in the season when the water's warm... I want to fish the really, really fast, nasty water, and then it's just a lot of split shot and heave it in there. When the water gets cold, then it's indicator fishing because they're in the softer water. Um, sometimes it's nice to fish a two-hander, cover lots of water, enjoy the casting, hopefully get a big tug. So it depends. So you've got a different arsenal for each occasion. It's like uh, having golf clubs. The key to... Successful steelheading is being adaptable. If you only fish one water level or one stretch of the river, you're limiting yourself. So what other what variables would you say would affect? What like barometric pressure, sunlight, water temperature, water temperature, fishing, was, fishing pressure. Much colder today than it was yesterday in the water. Yes. And we noticed that with a lot fewer hookups. Yes. Does that just be the melting snow coming in? Well, you have more water, so you have more leaves. It was windy, more leaves, temperature dropping, barometer rising, actually. Uh, It's easier to fish the drop than it is the rise. And what about people? You said if there's too many feet in the water scratching around and just chucking lures and flies at them. If you lived in a nylon cobweb, would you want to eat? No. I mean, I just imagine they just hear, like, left and right all day, things coming at them. Yes. Yes, they do. So, there again, what's changed here? Center pinning. Center pinners are deadly efficient. Can you describe that to listeners who've never heard about center pinning? Center pinning is an old English technique using a float and a line of split shot to create a dead drift over long distances, which a fly fisherman is hard to replicate. You may get a dead drift, but it might only be for three or four feet. A center pin fisherman can get a dead drift for 50 feet. So they catch a lot of fish. And it's hard to fish behind them. They take up a lot of space. 
Well, the argument, you can see both sides of it. The argument can be, well, the two-handed guys take up right, a lot of space, too. Big through. <clears throat> we all have to get along. Yeah. See, that also reminds me, there's the the two fly zones. How long has that been established? The lower one was 89. The, the, the success of the lower one, the upper followed a few years after. And Not very long afterwards. Any push to make one mid-river, lower river? I don't think so. What was the thought behind it, just giving the fish... Well, they, they the fly zones were actually sanctuary water for the hatchery okay. for many years. And now there's just a half a mile of river directly behind the hatchery right? for sanctuary water. It's been getting less crowded by the hour today. There are a lot of people there this morning, and it's you, you blink, and one person's gone, and then another went. It got pretty quiet. Overall, have you seen it, the fly sections getting more crowded? Um, I don't. I rarely fish up there because you don't need a guide to fish in the fly areas. The flyers are the fishy areas are quite obvious. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And they're a little too crowded for me. Yeah. What stretch do you like to fish? And what makes good <laughs> steelhead water? You don't have to like describe the exact hole that might be named, but what kind of water are you looking for when you're taking out clients? It depends. I prefer to fish for moving fish versus sitting fish. Okay. I think they bite better. So if the water is 40 or above, I'm looking for thigh to waist deep water, even bottom, even depth, choppy surface, faster than walking speed. Okay. What about substrate? Gravelly, big rocks? There's no gravel. So it's, yeah, (laughs) some big rocks. That's one thing with this river, because it's a tailwater, it's got that super slick bottom. It's actually not a tailwater. It comes out of the turbines, so it's kind of off the top. Okay. And it can be deceiving. The lower reservoir, which you would drive by, is small. It's solely to generate power. The main reservoir is another almost 20 miles upriver. That's above the falls. Correct. Have you seen the falls before? We took you there last yeah, year. It was crazy. Last year when the when the water was so high. Yeah. I think mo- more anglers need to go out and check that while they're here, and not ignore that because those are some pretty big waterfalls. I think it's the second highest waterfall after Niagara. Wow. It's over a hundred feet. Yeah, it's big. And that would have traditionally been the dead end of the Atlantic Salmon Run, before the dams and reservoirs. I doubt anybody could jump that one. Right. Yes. <laughs> So this was all back in the day Atlantics, then the steelhead were stocked, and then... Yes, because you have to remember, over in Rochester is Caledonia Hatchery, which is the first, arguably the first hatchery in America. It was where Seth Green was, Mm -hmm. who's the father of the American hatchery system. So they've been experimenting, introducing fish into the Great Lakes since 1870-something. Yes. Would you say that these fish that are self-reproducing have become sort of isolated from the West Coast ones? They don't have to waste energy going from fresh 
to salt and back. So they're going to have, I guess, more strength when they come into the rivers. Well, I don't know about that. I think it's a combination of water temperature, where you catch them in the river. Obviously, theoretically, the lower in the river you catch them, the better they fight. I know the lower you catch, find them in the river, the stupider they are. Sure that. Well, in the Dunstan. Yeah, they've been hitting in the head by flies and split shot and mono left and right. In the Dunstan, I'm fishing size six sucker spawn and eight pound maxima. Wow. Size six. You don't want to shoot an elephant with a 22. <laughs> What rig would you have for, let's say you're doing a two-handed fishing, what would your leader look like for clients or yourself? Swinging or fly or indicator? Uh, let's go a little bit of each. My we, we want people to, to, to call you up and be like, we want this guy to take us out down there. We like this method. Indicator fishing is pretty basic. I'll use a 18 inches of amnesia and then four feet of 15 or 20-pound maxima down to three feet of 10 or 12 to a swivel and then only a foot or 18 inches of tippet. I still use a swivel for two reasons. Keep the shot from sliding mm -hmm. and it enables me to change tippets easily without touching the weight. Absolutely. So normally I will set the lower section, the 10 or 12, approximately the depth of the water and then add my indicator to the heavy section. I tend to fish my indicator at the depth I think the water is and add more weight. Because in the pocket water, there's not a lot of time to mend or manipulate your line. Do you have a brand preference for indicators? Airlocks. Airlocks, okay. Color? Orange or pink. The chartreuse is too hard to see in the, in the sun. Okay. I also like the thill. Indicators, they cast the best. Phil. They actually make regular bobbers. Okay. You say that, bobbers? Yeah. But they make an inline one that you peg in place, and they really okay. cast nicely. What about if you're swinging? Four feet of 10-pound maximum. Off the tip. How about that? Would you, would you say they're down low? They're just not, they just haven't seen it before. Are these no, I don't think it's a question of that. I think it's a question of if you're looking at a fly that's three inches long and it's invading your space, you don't it's say... You're not concerned about the periphery over there. I'm not going to eat it because it's not fluorocarbon. Right. I'm going to chase it and I'm going to bite it. Would you say some of the more modern swinging flies have increased the catch rate? Yes. Without a doubt. They shed water they have bulk without mass they can sink down faster and they swim better so you know they're either wavering in the current or versus they're they're not static under tension what about any materials that have come out Are there any New things come out that have changed your tying game? I primarily glow bug yarn, but every year there's something new. I like that new ecstasy yarn. Mm -hmm. um, quite honestly, one of my best flies is uh, baby blanket yarn. Right. Because it comes in pink and blue. I have baby blanket yarn. Oh, yeah. Lion's, is it like baby's breath? Lion's brand or something? But it's just... It's a soft, fuzzy, yeah, and I'm in a rubber leg face. Okay, lots of woolly buggers and with rubber legs. Is there a color preference you think the fish find better than others? Depends on the day. I mean, fresh eggs in low light are fluorescent. Fertilized eggs are orange. Unfertilized eggs are a tea color. Eggs that are dislodged slowly fade eventually turning really pale pink to, Those are the ones to white. We're seeing all over the bottom underneath the yes. rock sticking out right now. So you should carry six colors normally. Do you the think there's size preference on the fish? Yes. Well, 
depends on where you are. Right. Upriver, yes. Downriver, no. Um, most of the center pinners fish 10 millimeter beads, which are much, much bigger than salmon eggs. Um, the one color egg that doesn't make any sense is blue, which is a very successful color here. I always hear it blue in November. I've never had any luck on it. So when you're when you're deciding to swing versus uh, fish under an indicator, is that is that a uh, what what do you use to determine that um, water water levels? If I'm all alone, yeah, then we swing through first and then indicator behind. Okay, have all this stuff. There's no reason not to carry multiple rods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except the other day, I lost one of my tips in the woods. Popped off. You found it. Yeah, I was lucky. This is a rookie mistake. I didn't have it. Carry your rod rigged up. It, the tip it broke and it just uh-huh. and it was a copper colored Reddington rod. And I'm looking through the woods and sure enough, right when I'm walking out, I'd given up hope. It's sitting there on the incline, climbing down. I was rather grateful. Uh, what other? Let's see. Uh, do you have preference for heads or tail pools? For fish might be holding. That's like a typical, you know, Western. Well, on this river, we tend to concentrate on the heads. Okay. If you're swinging a fly, fish it all the way through. It's a time management thing. A lot of people, they fish the head, they don't get anything, they move to the next one. So, theoretically, you should find a lot of undisturbed fish. But it depends on how much water you're trying to cover in a given day. So, in the smaller spots, I fish it all. Then you have to say to yourself, I didn't hit one in the head. Do I take the time and fish the whole hundred yards or not? How much might you walk in a typical day if you're by yourself? Constantly. On the move, looking for fish until you find them. And would you stay there or would you hook and then go to the next spot that was similar to where you just hooked one? No, I'd stay there. And when you're asking that, the best thing that you can do is keep a journal. And not only trout fishermen fish the spots, anadromous fishermen fish the water. On a certain day, or depending on your style of fishing, you're looking for a certain kind of water. And if you write it down, so not only water temperature, water height, what you were using, if you write down the water, describe the water that you caught fish in, and or where you saw other people catch fish in can really help. It will can jog your memory. It can, you know, if you've been here 17 times and only once it was 7.50 and then you're back here and it's 7.50 again, you look just look in your journal and go, this is where I was and this is what worked and didn't work. The most common mistake I see are people returning to places where they've had previous success that don't fish well in the prevailing water level. You know, I could can't find my rock, there's too much water. And there is a correlation between confidence and success. If you don't think you're going to catch a fish, you won't, because you're not fishing effectively. You're just going through the motions. Or somebody beat me to my rock, I don't know what to do. you got to have plan B and C. Yes. And so if clients are going to go out with you, they book through Whitaker's? No, me. Through you? Yes. Okay. I just sit there. I don't work there. Okay. <laughs> Do they get you lunch at all? No. No? No. That's terrible. I just sit there in the morning and then off we go. Okay. What's a, a typical guided day? Is it full sun up, sun down? You I know, wish. Work, work your clients hard? I'm too old for that. Um we start between 6 and 7, depending on when sunrise is, and we go until about 3, depending on what's going on. Um, it's the shoe leather express. We move a lot. Lots of spikes, sunglasses, staff if you need it, and I bring lunch. What's a nice lunch for you guys? Cold cuts. And then in this kind of weather, I actually have a backpacking stove, so we have soup. That's, that's what we're known for. I had a potato leek soup on the river today. I just took a bunch of little 
like olive bar containers. And as we were cooking before we came up here, I just froze lots of them. Just throw those on the stove, and I'm five minutes. I got hot lunch. Yeah. I just boil water and give the guys ramen. That works too. I was gonna do ramen today, but my stove, the wind just wasn't heating things up today. Aluminum foil, wrapping around. You know, my stove, so somewhere in all my gear, I've got the little things that go around. Use your backpack. Yep, I also have a, a big fly box. That big one, use that to block the wind. But today was just, we were on a sandy shore. And it was just gross. The water had come up so much from yesterday, we had a lot less space to actually cook on. You had yours on like a, a shelf. Rock, yeah. Worked. Are there spots of the river that you would suggest people not fish? No. The, the nice thing is that there's... The Salmon River is unique for a variety of reasons. One, it's dam controlled, so the flow is very consistent. Two, there's the hatchery, so it's going to get a large number of fish. Besides the fish that are stocked in this river, we get all the strays. Most importantly, it's the size. It's small enough that the wading angler can cover... A lot of it, especially at 335, 350s to 750, yet it's large enough to float. That's what makes us unique. We have always have water, and there's almost always some place to fish. So if you like to be in a big pool, if you like to be in the middle of the town, or you want to get away from it all, there's always some place for you to be. I mean, just look at the difference between the upper and lower fly areas. Mm-hmm. Night and day in the, in the style of water. Right. The lowers change a lot with the, the rocks and the construction they've been doing. To stabilize the banks. Yeah. Yes. The flows up there have changed a lot over the years since I've been coming up there. Well, all those trees in the cemetery pool fell down and then the guy's walking and the bank was yeah that bank was just muddy mess with humps and lumps on it and yeah are they gonna stabilize more of that I have no idea hey, that road's gonna fall in one day <laughs> we were out there one day and someone's cat was following me around that was last year that was last year yeah some it looked like uh, Morris the cat came down the hill and just wanted to be with me all day. I, I'm not a cat person, so I don't know what his deal was. Is a lot of this river accessible? I mean, I realize the river itself is public, but can you get to a lot of it? Or is there are there sections where you can only get access by boat or by knowing somebody? Outside of the Douglaston, there's a few isolated places where you cannot access but generally if you're willing to walk you can easily go from Altmar all the way to the village there seems to be a trail along the whole river but parts of it are now becoming private for lodge ownerships is that a good thing in your opinion the people are going to buy up stretches along the river and privatize the land progress i guess i mean i used to fish the lower black before douglaston took over and story i was told was just because people were just disrespecting the property down there and they just gave the land to douglas is that true how we like the treatment like below the treatment plan they let douglaston police it okay i think it's a dual-edged sword the the locals are tolerant, but sometimes it's not easy. The locals call us fish heads. So the anglers do bring in lots of tax revenue, but they also bring lots of traffic, increased prices, and it depends on where you live. If you live in the village near the staircase, you're listening to car door slam in the dark for six or eight weeks. Wow. Parking on your lawn. I mean, do you want to lay in bed and listen to 
car door slam no. in the dark every morning for two months? Yeah, like I went to college in a small town where these college students were not really appreciated for you know, the noise we made. Is it is there a little any animosity or is it just during sort of that big salmon run when there's a huge rush of I think they welcome the fishermen. It's, Look, I mean, the economy has got to do great when September through October. But if you're a local, you can't go to dinner, out to dinner. Right. Everything's booked, full. Grocery store store's probably out of beer. And the grocery... I think the grocery store's more expensive here than neighboring towns. Man, like, we live in D.C. Everything's more expensive down there, and it's always... Like, we try to fish the tidal basin, and it's tourists everywhere. There's always always school buses and tour buses in D.C., so I sort of know how it is. I mean, if you think about it, land must be very cheap here because we have a growing Amish population. They have their own parking at McDonald's. <laughs> but I don't think they spend a lot of money on land. Right. Do they fish? I think they hunt. They don't fish very often. The one thing we've been noticing, discussing over the years, is nothing really seems to eat the salmon when they die. A lot of raccoons. I've actually seen buzzards. Okay. I mean, I'm shocked I've ever seen bear. There's no bears here. Could you imagine the fish heads with guns? (laughs) Please, no. Fish heads. So has there been some, some crazy things you've seen on the river throughout the years? Any stories of just total tomfoolery and hijinks? Two guys snagging the same salmon from opposite banks. Straight out the little rascals. How do you determine who gets the fish? The one gets gets it in first? I walked away. I didn't want to see it. There's a lot of angler angler complex. I think that people are can get lose control of their senses over a fish or become very territorial. I, I, I think that the the average angler, especially steelheader, is a much better angler than 25 years ago. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Um, Average steelheader is a serious fisherman. So there's a lot of... There's increased pressure for prime real estate which means the headlamps run through the woods earlier and Mm -hmm. earlier especially on the weekends I think it's an evolutionary thing I mean I'm surprised that this cold snap and it'll be interesting to see how many people fish this weekend although it didn't snow yeah Yeah, the forecast keeps saying like 8 to 15 inches and wake up to nothing and then there's another Winter advisory tonight, so I don't know. It's like it's just which it's way cried the wind wolf blows. three times already. It's just which way the wind blows. It shifts just a hair. What's some of the crazy weather you've seen up here, and with the lake effect? What would you say that would just shock other people from around the country? Like two inches will shut down DC. Fishing in two feet of snow, blowing twenty. Wow, about twenty degrees out. What would make you not want to fish, weather-wise? That. <laughs> and as you've aged, have you not gone with, like, like when I was in my 20s, I would have been out today at 3.30 for some reason, waiting on the riverbank. But today, I take it a little slower. And then I meet some of the old guys at the parking lot, and they like to go out for breakfast and coffee. And they seem to get to the river when the early birds with the headlamps are leaving. Yes, but they're locals, so it's half social, half. You know, the other thing is, is that we're a mature fishery now. So people, especially the ones that have been here forever, a lot of them 
they want to catch fish, but they don't have the same drive. And a lot of people have, uh, put this, long-term arrangements. So some people have travel trailers up here. Some people rent apartments. So they're here for long periods of time. they got the time. They're retired and guys. Right, and that's, that makes a big difference. I mean, if we're up here four days a year, you know, I want to spend as much of the time on the water fishing my fly away as possible. Exactly. Um, but these guys who come up here from the city every weekend for six or eight weeks, you know, or people who live up here have a lot more time, and so they're, they're you know, willing to pick and choose when they fish. Exactly. Yeah. It's got to be a nice liberty to have. I can't wait till I retire. It's going to be fun. I was trying to figure it out the other day. I've guided close to 4,500 days, and I still want to get out of bed. And the day I don't want to get out of bed, I'll hang them up. Because no one wants to be with a grumpy guide. Right. When you're fishing, what what's the motivation? Is it satisfaction for the client, big fish, pretty fish, catching no, an just, obscure fish? It's making the people happy. Put the smiles on their faces. Well, I'm not really in the fishing business. I'm in the people business. Every person is different with a different personality or wants to accomplish something different. First fish, most fish, most difficult fish. Today's client only swings flies. And he trusts me to pick the right water where he has the best chance. He knows he's not going to catch a lot of fish, although he has caught a lot of fish in certain days. There are some clients with limited mobility. There are some clients that just want to go like hell. Every day is different. That's what keeps it unique. It's not like sitting in an office typing on your TPS report every day. (laughs) Yes. And with your your fishery, I mean, everything changes constantly. So you're, I mean, you're watching the weather, levels, temperatures. It's, it's got to be... Every time you figure it out, something changes. Right. That's got to keep you entertained. Do you fish up here year-round? I know you said you, you go to Michigan and Alaska. No. No. No, I'm old now, so I only guide here. Just during the peak of the seasons. Well, I come right after Labor Day. I stay up until almost Christmas, and then I come back in the spring. Okay. Let's. Well, I want some travel stories, but a couple more before uh, we go from Steelhead. I want to hear about Kamchatka in South America. What's uh? What's what's some suggestions on places you, you send your clients to eat in town? I really like the Mill House. Mill House. Food's really good. They bake bake everything. They have pizza. It's. A, by Pulaski standards, it might be a little pricey, but the food's excellent, Okay, in my opinion. Any good bars if someone wants to go watch a game and drink some beers? I haven't had a drink in 20 years, so I'm the wrong person All to right. ask. <laughs> you must feel good when you get up on those mornings. Oh. You the- feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, the... the uh, if you're not getting your refunds back on your cans, and you're... You're drinking a lot more pocket-wise up here, too. It's got to be expensive. We don't have deposits. Then again, we have cans and bottles and plastic all over our rivers down in Virginia and D.C. You'd be pretty shocked. Like, the Potomac should be translated to a river of plastic. Yeah, it's bad. All right, so you've done some traveling as well. It's been a while, but yes. Yes, we're, you, you traveled to Kamchatka which seems to be the new exotic location for big rainbows. It's pretty isolated. But if you think about it, it's the same size as California. has less than half a million people there. 30 active volcanoes and 10,000 bears. Wow, yeah, so the bears. Not like the team with the bears. That would. I've never actually seen a bear really in the wild before. 
And when I'm fishing, I'm paying too much attention to fishing. Like, a bear could have snuck up on me today. I had my hood pulled over me and face mask, and I could have gotten eaten. I could have gotten mugged by some kids today. Center Pinner. Yeah, Center Pinner. <laughs> so you, where did you fish in South America? Chile. For browns? Both. Sea runs? South of Coyhique. It's pretty far. Which is very similar to Montana. It's a step climate, quite arid. When I was there, the best fishing was in the lakes, not in the rivers. The big rainbows in the lakes? We did a lot of float tubing. Yeah, I've seen pictures of some of the rainbows. I had a client who said he stopped taking pictures of the 19-inchers. He's like, by the end of the, the first day, he realized those, were, those weren't worth your time. <laughs> yeah. It's... I think every person is different. Alaska is obviously a dream destination, but it's a long way. It can be really expensive with horrible weather. And very isolated. Here, you got same kind of fish, sizes, varieties, different types of water. And it's, but no it's, solitude. Right. Yeah, we had a nice spot the other day, and out of nowhere, three, it was like deliverance. Three people just came out of the woods, just sat down next to us. It was like, okay, there's, it's like being in a bathroom in a men's room, and you got <laughs> 10 urinals, and the person comes right up to the one next to you. <laughs> like, seriously. That was kind of like the other day, but we all got along. So do you not travel as much now that you said you're old, but you've got such a great fishery here. Would you travel to other places? Any things you haven't fished for? Plenty of things I haven't fished for. I'd like to catch an albie. I'd like to catch a marble trout. Just got to go to Slovenia. Go Espanlania, where some good fishing is. Exactly. Wow. Those are tinder boots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Can't call that right away. Good evening. Oh, my goodness. Too perfect. It was pretty good. And nice to meet you as well. Thank you for the uh, stories. They were fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Nate, that's what What about packing lists? Anything that people come up here with that they don't have that they should? You got a little leaky. Backups and everything. Cleats, walking stick. Pretty, like the guy below us, the neoprene today had rubber lug soles on. Cleats, walking stick, sunglasses. What about bringing their own flies versus do you Why not? them? Okay. Fish with what you're confident in. Do you, yeah, do you feel it's, it's about the fly or about the. Location. Presentation. Presentation. Yeah. I wonder just how many just empty spots I was casting to today. And I can't think of it that way. This is steelheading. You always have to think this is the cast. The thing is, you you have. I always urge you have to get into a rhythm. Every cast needs to be good, or else you're just wearing yourself out. Yeah. You have to think, this is the cast. Because the downside to this fishery is it's not relaxing. You have to concentrate every cast. You look away, oh, is that an osprey? That's when you always get a strike. When you're least prepared. Crap! My buddy Tom used to always hook a fish when he'd light a cigarette. I mean, you should see what happens when I go to take a leak. Something good always happens when I'm in the, going to the bathroom. That's why we're... <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> I wear depends. Oops, I crap my pants. And what about people that are not used to fighting big fish? How do you show them how to fight these larger steelhead? And it's a catch twenty-two. You just hang on until they start to come in. Now, generally, I'm different than most other guys. I tell them to strike straight up, not to the side. Because I think it, 
it cuts the water resistance when you set the hook. Although I have fished with people that strike to the side that have been very successful. I always say, you spend a lot of money on that reel, keep your fingers out of there. And don't grab the rod above the cork. Because that's what breaks. The reason why I always have a, a butt of amnesia is I use that when the fish is hooked to show me where it's going. When the angle changes, it's either surging or coming closer to you. And in bad light, it can tell you. You just follow the amnesia, where the fish is. I couldn't see anything on the far shore today, but a guy had a huge piece. And I could see everything he was doing yep. on the other side of the river. Everything else was just brown and, and snow-covered. That was the one thing I could see. Yeah. You don't want it to be too long because I think they can see it in the water. The fluorescent. Although I could be wrong because all those check nymphers using a cider that's submerged half the time yeah. doesn't seem to make a difference. Have you tried the check style nymphs, the jig heads? No. I don't like the, the weighted flies. Why is that? The movement? Because I want the shot on the bottom and I want the fly above the bottom. If I'm using shot, why do I need a... Weighted fly? Yes. Mm, okay. Now, I would fish a jig head... Jig head fly under a bobber. Because a jig under a float is deadly. But I haven't tried that yet. Never use those flies. Well, the nice thing about here is that we're, we've always traditionally been the bastard child of the fly fishing world. And the nice thing about that is there are no rules. So you can do a lot of different things here and experiment. And they may or may not enter the mainstream. No one ever thought fishing with running line would evolve into Euro-nymphing. Yeah. But here we are, 30 years later. There's food now. He's not going to have interest in you. Oh, he covered the boots up. Yeah. Those don't come out till later. Any other questions, Scott? I'm trying to think. Some other things I could ask you. Um, do you think they prefer anything in the water more than others? Like, is there a type of dim for insect you think they prefer to eat when they're in here over winter? In addition to eggs? No, again, I think you need to be versatile. As the season progresses or you get into winter, the eggs, the flies that you're going to fish, or eggs especially, are smaller and paler. Um, you always need to fish a variety of nymphs because they do see a lot of stuff. It's always hard to go wrong with black, a peacock curl. That Senya wiggle stone can be deadly because they don't see that much of it. I do think in the winter months they turn on and off. Then it can be better to fish in the middle of the day versus early and late. Do you have the Isonychia wiggle nymphs in this river? I don't think so. Yeah, they might be. There's a large invertebrate mass here but since I'm not here in the summer I don't alright where are you the rest of the year Mystic Connecticut okay on the seashore how long have you been there my cousin used to be the congressman for that area oh really yeah Sam Gadenson huh we've been there like three four years oh no when my wife retired oh no that was long before that what? So you're a mystic and you're not fishing for albies? I'm catching salmon. There you go. Same time. That's definitely conflict of interest in Mother Nature. Uh, what What have you caught out of this river, out of the Santa River? Two kinds of steelhead, winter and summer run. Kings, silvers, browns, domestic rainbows. Atlantic salmon. Oh, the Atlantic's oh. fairly in comp, or, uh, rare. 
I've seen only small ones pulled out. We saw, yeah, we got we... two years ago. I did pretty well. One week in the spring last year, I couldn't find any. The biggest one I got was over, a little over ten. Anything you catch in here that would surprise you as a guide? No, nothing surprises me. There you go. How are the lampreys doing? Uh, there was a bunch during salmon season. I saw quite a few marked up. Although I did see the guys around. I once foul poisoning one. them. Ooh. It was foul hooked. The salmon jumped twice, and it was still stuck on the salmon, and then it popped off. Yeah, and you can't kill them. They're like cockroaches. Oh, it, I stepped on it. It was like a water balloon. It just went the other side. It was chucked it up into the woods. Leap. Yeah, it's a suction cup mouth with razor blades in it. Yeah. That's a nasty critter. Agnathens. You guys got enough fly tying material? That's just me, man. I, I brought up the spool. I never know what I'm going to run into. I only fish like four patterns. Do I bring everything? Wow. That's one reason why we don't carpool, so I can have room. They may not have bears up here, but they get enough fly type material. Yeah, that's just marabou in that bag. That's one type of worm material. Just dubbing. This is pretty cool. This is from the Korean grocery store. It's called Korean Scrub Yarn. It's for making your own lupas. But it makes the coolest, just simple wraps. Now, one fly that I've been using this, this season that's been very successful which could be considered controversial. I've been catching lots of fish on the mop fly. I never was inspired by it, but last week I was thinking, what if I just took the tip of it and tied the tip into an egg? This is the mop fly egg. It's just the end of it. You want the whole shebang. And then I... Some kind of collar. In yeah, there. no, I was just like, don't move Yoda. Huh. Yeah, there was a mop fly frozen to the that log today we were hanging out by. Do you have a color preference for mop fly? The hardware store sells them in blue, pink, chartreuse, and orange. So you're saying these pheasant tails are probably too heavy because they have little beads on them? Nope. No, they're all good. I like these risen fly boxes are awesome. Set broke. Yes, yeah, so this is my. This is what I tied up tonight. We got a fish yesterday on the crystal meth, and then a chartreuse hobo. He was trying to tell me orange stone flies. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, Yoda. Well, any questions I, I should have asked you about the river? I didn't, or about fishing, or about you that you think we should know. No, I think we covered most of the bases. Yeah, where can listeners find you to book a trip? Um, email is the best. Okay. G-R-E-G-A-L-I-U at AOL.com. I'm never giving up my AOL address. You, well, hold on. You two got to talk then. He's, <laughs> I'm he's not like getting near old those school boots. AOL. I'm not getting near those boots. <laughs> I started working at AOL right out of high school. I, I, yes, listeners, you used to have to pay for AOL. Before you got the free Frisbees from them. Yeah. All the discs we give out. Oh, my goodness. All right. And if they want to book you, should they say, like, I want to swing flies, I want to drift flies, I want to, I want to fish that mob fly you heard about on Snow White's podcast? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All of it. Very cool. All right, Greg. Thank you for hanging out tonight. You're welcome. All right. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.